Hello, St. Bart's. Welcome. It is the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, and it is the final Sunday, God willing, of our videoing services and posting them online like this. Next Sunday, July 26th at 9 a.m., uh, in the back lawn of Central Lutheran Church, where we meet, we will be having an outdoor worship service that will be limited to 30 people, so you must register for the service. If you do not feel comfortable coming to an outdoor worship service at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning in late July, or if the registrations are already full, which they may be pretty close, don't worry, we will be streaming. Did you hear that? Streaming this service online and all subsequent services. So welcome today, the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. It's good to be with you. God is good and gracious and kind and merciful to us. Let us worship him together. O Lord, open our lips. And our mouths are clean praise. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. The name of the Lord be praised.
down your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and in misery. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for you are my God. I call upon you all the day long. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and great is your love toward all who call upon you. In the time of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. All nations you have made will come and worship you, O Lord, and glorify your name. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Knit my heart to you that I may fear your name. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the nethermost pit. But you, O Lord, are gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and full of kindness and truth. Show me a sign of your favor so that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed, because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Today's first lesson is from Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. second lesson is a reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. The servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go in and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow until, together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the one who reveals the things that are hidden from the foundations of the world. And then in sending your Son into the world in the fullness of time, you gave us a great gift and you showed us what your purpose was. To save not only us, but everything that you've made, your creation, Lord. And I pray that as we look at these words of Paul that give us a vision of your determination not just to save people, but to save your creation. Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to receive these words in hopeful expectation, Lord, that you will do what you have promised to do. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, happy Lord's Day, people of St. Bart's. Last week we looked, we began to look at Romans chapter 8, this magisterial chapter in what is one of the greatest letters that has been written in the history of the world. At pivotal times in the history of the church, people have returned to the letter of the Romans. Uh, It was pivotal to Luther in the Reformation. In the early 20th century, it was pivotal to Karl Barth as he brought the church back to a recognition that we have to receive God's word from without. It's not something that's within us. It's something that's without us. We have to hear God's word proclaimed to us. And he heard it proclaimed loudly in the letter to the Romans. So I want us to open our ears to what God might have to say to us through this letter that has changed the world over and over and over again. And the words that we heard last week was this promise that we are people of the Spirit and not people of the flesh. And because we are people of the Spirit, we have been buried with Christ, that we've died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ. And Paul told us last week that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the very Spirit that is in us. And that Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. And we talked about the language of with, that the Spirit cries with our Spirit that we are children of God, that the Spirit is with us to testify that we are co-heirs with Christ. And then in the last verse that we looked at last week, Paul says this, and if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He draws together the theme of glory with the theme of suffering. And we may think that those are very strange bedfellows that glory and suffering don't seem to have anything to do with each other. And in our verses today, we're going to see how Paul teases those themes out to show us that actually glory is related to suffering. And what Paul is going to show us is that we are people who groan, that we live in a creation that is groaning, and that the spirit is, that is within us also groans, and that all of that groaning comes together in hope. And again, those might seem like strange partners, that they don't go together, that groaning and hope seem like completely opposite themes. But I hope to show in digging into Paul's words here that groaning, that we groan in hope, that we groan in hopeful expectation for what God will do. And that's precisely where Paul begins in verse 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So he acknowledges the reality of suffering, but he situates the reality of suffering in a greater story. He puts a bigger horizon in front of us of this idea of the glory that is to be revealed. And so much of the reality of the Christian life is wrapped up with what Paul says here, is that we live in the time and the travail of suffering that the fullness of the glory that awaits us is not here yet. And yet he encourages us to orient our lives on the expectation that the glory that is to come, that what God has planned for his children, what God has planned for his creation cannot even be compared with the suffering that we have right now. Now, that's an easy thing to say, and it's a hard thing to believe. 
especially right now. I think suffering is, is always a reality in front of us and, and different people among us go through different things and we suffer at different levels and in different ways, but we are collectively experiencing the suffering of the world and experiencing this global pandemic. Our country is experiencing some unique suffering right now. We're reckoning with our, our past, our history, in terms of racism and in terms of justice and injustice. And suffering, I think, is uniquely in front of us. And it might be very, very, very difficult to receive, receive Paul's words as anything more than an empty platitude. And if that's where you are right now, I encourage you to stick with me. Because I think Paul knows more about suffering than we do. Even though we have 2,000 years of history on him, <laughs> even though we have 2,000 years of church history on him, not just the church experiencing persecution and suffering, but in many times and places, the church inflicting suffering. And I would still say, despite that, Paul knows more about suffering than we do. And that we would do well to hear what he has to say to us. And that we would receive this statement that glory, the glory that is to come is greater than the suffering now as a promise of hope, not as an empty platitude. And the reason that I think he knows more about suffering than, than we do is because he has a larger horizon. He has a bigger story in mind than we often do. Because he's not just thinking about our redemption. He's thinking about the redemption of all things, of all of creation. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation itself is interested in salvation. <laughs> Why? Because of verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. He subjected it in hope. Now, what does that mean? Paul encapsulates the story of Genesis 3 into one verse. That it wasn't just Adam and Eve that fell in turning away from God, but that the ground itself was subjected in that moment. That creation too, in a way, fell. So that when we talk about sin and salvation and redemption and these things, we can't just think in individual terms about our personal salvation but that creation itself is tied up with that story. That when we fell, creation fell too. It was subjected to futility. By the sweat of your brow, you will get the fruit from the ground. There will be thorns and thistles. It was subjected to futility. But Paul sneaks these two little words in. It was subjected to futility in hope. Hope of what? Hope of the redemption of the sons and daughters of God. Look at tw verse 21, subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So when we think about what glory is, the glory that outweighs the suffering, the reason that it's not a platitude is because it's not just glory for us, it's glory for all that God has made. That he has determined in the death, burial, resurrection of his son, not just to save human beings, though we are the crown of creation, though we are made in the image and likeness of God, but to save creation along with it. Not so that we can have escape hatch from creation, but so creation itself can be raised up on the last day so that the new heavens and the new earth will be the fulfillment of the story of redemption. 
Not just personal salvation, but cosmic salvation. That's the glory that is to come. That God will raise up everything that he has made. All that is good will be raised up on the last day. It will be set free from the bondage to corruption, the bondage to decay. And will obtain what? The freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's a phrase that we talk about here a lot at St. Bart's. Because we think that that phrase beautifully encapsulates what it means to be fully human. To be free. Not freedom from constraint, but freedom for love. Love of God and love of neighbor. Freedom to experience the glory of all that God has made. And Paul says here that when that glory comes, creation too will participate in that same freedom. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And this image is the image that ties it all together. This is where I want you to really pay attention. It's the pains of childbirth that the creation experiences. The groaning, the groaning that is in hope is the groaning of the travail and the labor of birth pains. Think about a woman in labor. The pain, the suffering that is experienced in that moment. I don't know what that is personally. I've only seen it. Experienced it with my wife. But I know that that suffering can become all-consuming. And that it can become the thing that you focus on instead of what lays before you through that labor, the child. See, the travail of labor when the child is born means that that labor was not in vain, but that that labor, that groaning, that travailing brought forth something glorious. And Paul is saying that too, that the creation and we along with it are pregnant with something that is to come. We don't have it yet. We hope for it, but we're travailing with the pain of childbirth to bring it forth into the world. That the creation is a place of groaning, but that we too are a place of that groaning. Verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait as we wait, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation groans and we groan. And the reason that we groan, Paul says, is because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Meaning, we just have that little taste. The spies went into the land and they brought back the fruit, the first fruits of the promised land, as a guarantee that God would give them the wholeness of the land. But they didn't have it yet. They just had the first fruits of it. We just have the first fruits of what is to come. The Spirit works in and through us to remind us that there is something greater coming. That the glory that is to come is not to be compared with the suffering. It is so much greater. So the creation groans and we groan because the Spirit is in us. But we don't groan in vain. We groan as a woman bringing forth life groans and travails and labor. And Paul says this is in hope. We, in hope, were saved. For in this hope we were saved, not hope that is seen. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. 
for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The nature of hope is that we just have a little taste. When we see God at work in our community, when we see God healing people, when we see God setting people free, when we see people experiencing new life and new freedom and new insight and new understanding, that's just a first fruit. It's just a glimmer. It's just a taste of the glory that is to come. It's In those moments, it's the end of the story breaking into the middle of the story. God is giving us a little taste, a first fruit of the glory that is to come. And that keeps us going in hope. The creation is travailing in childbirth, but is doing so in hope. We too are travailing and groaning inwardly, but we do so in hope. And this verse wasn't part of it, of the original reading, but I just want to include it because it's so important. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. The creation groans in hope. We groan in hope, but it's the Spirit in us that is also groaning because we don't know what to pray for. And this is where I want to land because prayer is the point of convergence where suffering and glory are drawn together. Prayer is the convergence where hope and the groaning that we experience are drawn together. This is a point that N.T. Wright makes in in an essay on this passage. He says, we often think about prayer in these terms, that we know what to pray for, but we're not often sure who to pray to. And what he means by that is, we think we know how to put everything back together. I think this is such an important point for us right now, because I'm just as guilty of this as anybody. But I see, and I think you see it too, is that because we all have access to all this information, we think we all know the answers. We think, and I think this, if I were king for the day, if I were queen for the day, if I were in charge for the day, I would know exactly which levers to pull and exactly what order to make everything right, to fix every injustice, to bring about the right kind of change in the right way. Paul is saying something quite different. He's saying, actually, we don't know what to pray for, but we know who to pray to. Sometimes we really don't know what to pray for, but we know who to pray to. I think this is such an important for us as Anglicans to remember, because we have a prayer for everything it can often seem like we, we already know what to pray for. And we can sort of move past this reality that there's a groaning, there's an aching, there's a pain, there's a travailing in labor. And prayer is that point of convergence where we can groan, where we can cry out to the one who can make everything right, who can set things to right, who can bring about not just our redemption, but the redemption of creation itself. And that the church is the point where that happens. And I'm going to read you this quote from N.T. Wright. He says, the church is not insulated from the pain of the world, but it is to become for the world what Jesus was for the world. The place where the pain of the world and its grief may be focused and concentrated and so healed. Jesus became the point where the 
world, the pain of the world was converged. He took it upon himself. The church is the body of Christ. There is a very real, real sense, a mystical sense in which we are meant to take the pain of the world, not in hopelessness, but in hope that there is one who can set things right, that there is one who can bring a birth out of the travail, that the travailing is not in vain, that we groan in hope. That's what it means to be the people of God, to bear the burdens of each other, to bear the burdens of the world and lift them up to God. And sometimes we don't know what to pray. And if you don't know what to pray, you're in good company. Sometimes I don't know what to pray. Sometimes, obviously, Paul did not know what to pray, but the Spirit groans within us and intercedes for us. So I think Paul knows something about suffering. I think he can teach us something about suffering. I think he can speak to us in the midst of a global pandemic. I think he can speak to us in the midst of our country being torn apart by all of all the things that divide us. He can speak to that and say, actually, the church is a place where all of that can be gathered up and lifted up to God in prayer, in hopeful expectation that he is the one who can bring a greater glory out of that than we can even imagine. So let us be people of hope, not naive, not Pollyanna, not closing our eyes to the pain of the world, but wide-eyed looking at the pain of the world and gathering it up and lifting it back up to God in hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us affirm our faith by saying together the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. A prayer for justice. Almighty God, you created us in your own image. Grant us grace to contend fearlessly against evil and to make no peace with oppression and help us to use our freedom rightly in the establishment of justice in our communities and among the nations to the glory of your holy name. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace, that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In light of what was just preached, the reality of the Spirit groans within us, and often we do not know what to pray. Just invite you to take a moment of silence. And, and imagine, not just imagine, but know that the Spirit is praying in us and through us. Just in your heart, lift up the suffering of the world. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you did not despise the cross, but took upon yourself pain and suffering. And then in the mystery and the power of the Holy Spirit, you call us to suffer with you so that we might be glorified with you. Help us to do that in hopeful expectation. Help us to be people who groan in hope. We think of all the situations in the world, all the particular suffering in our own community, and the general suffering around us. And Lord, we ask that you would bring those foretastes, those first fruits of the glory that is to come as a witness that you can be trusted and that you are the one who can make all things right. Almighty God, you've given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you've promised your well-beloved son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Glory to God, who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.